What's going on, everyone? Welcome into episode 74 of the Two Stripes Podcast, the podcast that covers everything happening in the world of college football. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, welcoming you into today's show as we get closer towards week two of the 2019 college football season. I had a hell of a time last weekend watching everything that went down in week one. That was one of the more compelling week ones that I can remember in a long time. And the preview episode that I did last week, I, as I was doing it, I thought like, okay, this is going to be a pretty fun week. And it ended up being very compelling, which was fun to watch. And I think a really great start to the season and hopefully a sign of things to come because from top to bottom, it was just a super enjoyable weekend of football. Hopefully week two is the same, and that's what I'm going to talk about on today's episode. But before I do that, if you are listening to this show, please consider going on to Spotify, searching the Two Straps podcast, following along with the show there. And if you enjoy it, also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, search Two Straps podcast, leave me a review, leave some feedback, leave some comments, and then finally go on over to YouTube.com slash Colton Denning, and you can find the show there and my college football highlights. I put up some of Justin Fields, his first start at Ohio State, Chase Young, the Ohio State defensive end, his monster game against Florida Atlantic, and Tylen Wallace, the Oklahoma State receiver who torched Oregon State last week through his highlights from week one up there. I'll keep doing that as the season goes along. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Colton Denning, for not only the show, but all of my college football highlights as well. I think you'll enjoy it. So if you listened last week, I tried to come up with a theme for what week one in college football is, and I ended up just grouping all of the different games we see into five categories. And I thought it ended up being pretty spot on with what some of those categories were. So for this week's slate of games, I tried to come up with another theme that was different from week one, but also accurately depicted what I think week two is going to look like, what you should watch, and what the layers of importance are, I guess, for some of these games in week two. The theme I ended up coming up with for this week is that this slate of games is like a great boxing card or a UFC card, or if you're a wrestling fan, it's like a great wrestling card. This week has all of the ingredients that make a great card. First of all, you have the main events. You have the things that are drawing people into this week of college football that people need to see, the stuff that's going to lead SportsCenter that all of us are going to be talking about beforehand, during, and afterwards. You have your main events. This week we have two of them, LSU at Texas and Clemson hosting Texas A&M. Boom. Those are the two biggest games. Those are the two games that everyone is going to be talking about regardless of what happens. They both have college football playoff implications. They're both cross power five conference games. Under those two games, you also want to have a great mid card. And this week has that. There are four or five games that don't have the importance of those previous two games, but they are either rivalries are conference games, or are just games between two teams that we really just need to see more of and we may not know a lot about yet, that by the end of the day, you're going to know something about those teams that's tangible going forward. And these aren't games that you need to watch all four quarters of, but you can have on in the background. And when things start to get crazy, 
that's when you lock in, you watch these mid-card games. So there's a good slate of those too in the middle. And finally, you want to have a really solid undercard of games. Games that you aren't going to go out of your way to watch. Hell, you may not even know that these two teams are playing. But for whatever reason, there's a little bit of intrigue that's just going to hook you into watching this game because we're going to learn something new about a team that we wanted to see for either good or bad reasons. So when you add all of that up, that's what makes this week a great week because it has a little bit of everything. You have your undercard games, you have your mid-card games, and then you have your two main events that luckily for us take place at two different times. Texas A&M, Clemson's early on in the day, and then LSU-Texas is the primetime game. So you get to space everything out pretty evenly and get a dose of just about everything happening in the country this week. The best place to start to talk about how that card builds up this week is the undercard. And what makes this undercard so strong is that the three games I've circled out are three teams that have legitimate college football playoff aspirations in Ohio State, Michigan, and Auburn. Starting with Ohio State, they host Cincinnati, who is coming off a big win against UCLA, beat them back-to-back years, and Luke Fickle comes back to Columbus for really the first time in his life not being on the Ohio State sideline as a player or as a coach. So that's one reason that this game has a little bit of a hook. But then two, Cincinnati has a very good defense, one that played really physical with UCLA last week. They got a couple of injuries in the back end, but they were able to force some turnovers. And Ohio State's offense, after they scored those four touchdowns on their first four drives, was hit or miss in the second and third quarters under Justin Fields' first career start at quarterback. There were times where he looked really electric, and there were also times where the offense just sputtered a little bit. I don't think it was anything terrible, but it also gives you a little bit of pause when you're going up against a defensive mind like Luke Fickle, like defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. This is going to be a really good test for the Ohio State offense, and one that I think is going to tell us a lot about what they want to do moving forward. In that same vein, Michigan is taking on an Army team that, like Cincinnati, also won double-digit games last year, also is very strong in one phase of the ball, and just like Ohio State, Michigan had their moments against Middle Tennessee State where you can see where this new offense is going, but there were also times where it kind of looked like the same Michigan offense, just dressed differently. You had the two-quarterback thing with Dylan McCaffrey and Shea Patterson. Patterson had a couple of weird turnovers, and there were just the usual signs of learning a new offense and putting it out there on the field for the first time in, in a game situation. And it'll be very intriguing to me up against a team like Army who loves to control possession. What's going to happen if Michigan's offense isn't rolling and Army has the ball for eight, nine minutes at a time and is able to string together a scoring drive or two? What's that offense going to look like when it's really forced to play with some urgency? Both Michigan and Ohio State probably win these games comfortably, but they also could both be games where you turn to your buddy, it's third quarter, it's tied up, or Cincinnati or Army has the lead, and you think, okay, what's what's going on here? Let's switch the channel. I need to get to this game. The other contender that I mentioned in this undercard is Auburn. Of course, they're fresh off that big win against Oregon in Dallas. Last-minute drive, freshman quarterback Bo Nix in his first start. Caps the comeback with a touchdown pass and immediately skyrockets all of the expectations 
for Auburn. Now they're at home against a very sneaky, good Tulane team. I watched Tulane beat the absolute breaks off of Florida International last week, and that's a team under Butch Davis that had a lot of hype coming into the season as maybe one of the best group of five teams in the country. They had a really good season last year, and Tulane came out and just took it to them on every side of the ball. You have stars in quarterback Justin McMillan. He was an LSU kid. Darius Bradwell and Corey Dauphine are one of the more exciting one-two punches at running back in the country. Not just group of five, but anywhere. And then you have a nasty defensive front that was in FIU's backfield all day. A very athletic secondary. There were like three or four plays where it was either their secondary or their receiver core who just went up and got the ball. Some of the more impressive athleticism I saw from week one was from Tulane and their skill players. I'm not saying that Auburn is on upset alert, but after that type of win against Oregon, you got a freshman quarterback. Now you're coming back home. There may be a little bit of a letdown. This may be one where you look at your score app and it's 10-0 Tulane, and you're thinking, what the hell is going on with Auburn? That's why I'm excited for this game. Auburn's always crazy. You never know what you're going to get with them. They probably comfortably win this game, but there may be a stretch there where Tulane is in it and they're playing really hard. They're a solid, fundamental team. I love what Willie Fritz is doing there. And I think it's worth keeping an eye on this game to see how it plays out. So that's most of the undercard. I'll talk a little bit more at the end about other games that I'm personally looking out for that are stupid for whatever reason that it's just hard to include unless you're just a college football diehard and you're super excited to watch how Tennessee responds from their loss to Georgia State against BYU. But that moves us into the mid-card. That's that's the real meat and potatoes of this week where these three or four games have either conference implications or rivalries or they're just games where you're going to learn about teams whether they're contenders or not, and where they stand. The first of those is Syracuse at Maryland. Maryland is fresh off of a nice 79 to nothing win over Howard in Mike Loxley's first game as head coach there. Transfer quarterback Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech had a really efficient performance in game one. If we know anything about Maryland the last few years, it's that they can play offense. And while Howard really isn't the best measuring stick of that going forward, This Syracuse defense is pretty nasty, especially up front. And this is one of the more fun, low-key matchups of the week between that Maryland offense and Syracuse's defense. Syracuse didn't do a lot last week against Liberty outside of just the whole shenanigans of the Hugh Freeze thing, but their defense shut them out. The offense wasn't really what we expect under Dino Babers. New QB Tommy DeVito didn't move the ball a ton, but we, if we know anything about Dino and Syracuse, they're going to figure it out offensively. Maryland's defense probably won't provide a ton of resistance to what they want to do. So this may end up being a game that isn't a shootout, but is on like the level below that where you still get a lot of points. And this is the first real test for Syracuse of, hey, are they really a contender to be in that second spot behind Clemson in the Atlantic? It's wide open right now. Everybody kind of anointed them that spot before the season. And despite Maryland's strong start last week, that's still a group with a ton of deficiencies 
that a team like Syracuse should be able to take advantage of. So that's a fun matchup that I think is going to tell us a lot about where Syracuse is right now and just how quick or not Mike Loxley is going to move forward at Maryland. The mid-card also has my personal favorite game of the week, one of the best rivalries in all of college football, although I am admittedly biased growing up there, and that is Nebraska heading to Boulder to take on CU. Nebraska is a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Colorado, but this environment may be outside of the LSU-Texas game and Clemson-Texas A&M is going to be the best all week. This is a hell of a rivalry that if you've never been to a CU-Nebraska game, you have to try to find a way to make it happen. They play twice more in this decade, I think 2023 and 2024. But these games are always a lot of fun. And even though they're not in the same conference anymore, after what happened last year with Adrian Martinez and the injury stuff and whether or not CU intentionally tried to hurt him and some of the smack talk that Nebraska players have been talking about that leading into this game, it's going to be charged up. And you have a Nebraska team who didn't look great against South Alabama last week, and everybody expects them to take this massive jump like Scott Frost led UCF to in his second year there. But last week wasn't a great showing, and this week CU doesn't provide a ton of better defense, I think, than South Alabama based off of what we saw from the Buffs last year and even in week one against CSU where Colorado State was able to generate some big plays, generate consistent yardage, but turn the ball over, I think, three or four times, and that really was the difference. This may be a shootout. I thought the line would be a little bit higher than three and a half, but this is a game where both offenses could be going back and forth. CU, we know what they can do with LaVisca Chenault. Steven Montez is still a little bit of a wild card. So this is the type of game where if somebody turns somebody else over three times, that's really going to be the key. I tend to lean towards Nebraska in this game. It pains me to say, I hate to say it, but I think CU's main chance of winning this game is that they have to turn Adrian Martinez over like they were able to do last year. And then LaVisca Chenault, all him, all the time. And the rest of that CU receiving core just has to step up, make a couple plays like they were able to do against CSU last week. And you got a chance. This is also Mel Tucker's first real shot at a statement win as CU head coach. The other two games I have on the mid-card are here for two very different reasons. First is Miami at North Carolina. Miami's a five-and-a-half-point road favorite. They're coming off a bye after losing that Week 0 game to Florida. Have had time to work on that offense with Jaron Williams at quarterback. And then UNC, on the other hand, is off that great win over South Carolina, that fourth quarter comeback. Got a freshman QB in Sam Howell. Was so exciting in his first start. This is a tough defense to face in your second start. But for me, the real intrigue of this game and why I put it in the mid card is, what if North Carolina wins? Like, at what point do we start wondering, could they be coastal contenders? Like, could they actually do this in Mac Brown's first year? If there's one division where a team like North Carolina and a new coach can come into that situation and win a division, it has to be that one, don't you think? Like that's, Pitt won it last year. There's no reason that North Carolina couldn't eke out a seven and five and somehow win via the tiebreaker. So I I don't think that they're going to win against Miami, but 
Also, what if they do? When do we start having that conversation? That's just something I want to throw out there. The final game in the mid-card for me is Stanford and USC in LA. This isn't here because of uh, being contenders or this has some sort of adverse effect on the college football playoff race, but just the storylines for each of these teams and what it's going to mean going forward after this game is what's so intriguing. For USC, the big story is the JT Daniels injury. He's out for the year. You have Keaton Slovis in as the starting quarterback now at USC. Are they going to have to tweak that offense again to what they truly want to do with that air raid system? Or is he just able to execute that? Even before the JT Daniels injury, I felt like they were struggling big time against Fresno State. That was a game they very well could have lost. And against a team like Stanford, they're not going to be able to make some of the mistakes that they made last week. But then on the Stanford side is quarterback KJ Costello, who took that really nasty hit against Northwestern. Is he going to be able to play? And is Davis Mills, if he plays, how up to this task is he in his first start going up against USC without a run game to lean on? Stanford is going to have to figure out a way if KJ Costello doesn't play to run the ball much better than they have, especially now that their all-world left tackle, Walker Little, is out for what, at least the next five or six weeks. So this is a game where I don't think anybody knows what to expect. At the time I'm recording this, it's off the board in Vegas, or I couldn't find a spread for it. And I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this game, but that's why I like it here, because there really is a lot of mystery leading up to it. All of those games lead up to a great crescendo and a double main event starting at 3.30 Eastern when Texas A&M goes on the road to play Clemson. Clemson's favored by 17.5 points, and this is a game that came down to the wire last year, was one of the more fun games to watch, was really one of the only times that Clemson got tested, and is another chance for Texas A&M to prove that under Jimbo Fisher, they're taking those steps to compete with the big boys week in and week out, not only in the SEC, but outside of the conference as well. I think they're going to get there. They aren't there right now. The only way that they have a shot in this game is if they force Clemson into three or four turnovers. Last year, they only had 11 for the whole season. That was 121st in the country. Already had four last week against Texas State. That isn't saying a lot, but it's a start. And that's really, to me, the only way that Texas A&M can make this a game into the second half because Clemson has so much firepower. If you waste any possessions, whether it's Travis Etienne, Higgins, any one of the other 18 million receivers that Clemson has created in the lab just ready to go, Trevor Lawrence is going to get those dudes the ball, and they're going to put up points. So Kellen Mond has to be able to make the type of plays he did in last year's game and not turn the ball over. And a guy like Kendrick Rogers, one of the more freaky receivers in the country, he's got to step up, have a big game. He had at least one touchdown against Clemson last year. But those are the two keys to the game. A&M just can't turn the ball over and has to turn Clemson over like three times. Good luck with that. Also something to look out for, if there's a time you want to play this Clemson youngish defensive line, it's right now. So maybe that works in A&M's favor. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up for four quarters, but this is a good litmus test for where A&M is at in year two under Jimbo Fisher. And is I'm glad this isn't like the night game, because if it were, this is something where it could get out of hand pretty quick. But as 
like a table setter to the LSU Texas game, it's in a pretty good place. What AM Clemson lacks in balance, at least on paper, is made up for by LSU Texas. LSU's favored by six points on the road. These are two top 10 teams, two teams on probably that second tier of college football playoff contenders. And one of them is going to win this game and I think immediately shoot up to being in that first tier because this is going to be the first true marquee win of the year. I think even more so than Auburn beating Oregon. For Texas, this is an opportunity for another SEC win beating Georgia in last year's Sugar Bowl and LSU would do a lot for the perception of them, not just this season, but overall. And for LSU, are they truly a balanced team offensively and defensively? We, we know what they're going to do on defense. They scored a lot of points against Georgia Southern. Joe Burrow had a big day. Can they do it against a top 10 team? Can they take that next step to where we saw they were at the end of last season and Joe Burrow and that offense having a legitimate passing game, being able to be balanced there and to be a legitimate threat to some of the other teams that are in this college football playoff race. What I really like about this game is that it's so hard to predict because historically it sets up well for both of them. For LSU, to me, this is just always the type of game that they win. These non-conference, whether it's neutral or true road games or home games, whatever, these are just always the games to me that LSU, at the end, you look up and they're up by 13 points or 20 points, and it ends up being like a 10-point game, but you walk away from it thinking, damn, LSU just was so much more physical than those guys. They really beat them up. On the other side, for Texas, how could you not love Tom Herman at home as an underdog? Nobody is better as an underdog than Tom Herman. His teams are always set up in positions to succeed when nobody believes in them, when they aren't favored, when they can kind of approach a game with that type of mentality and playing LSU at home and still being an underdog. This is right in Tom Herman's wheelhouse. So for me, I don't even want to make a prediction because I think you can pick and choose and make a strong case for for both teams. And that's why this game is really intriguing to me and is the perfect main event for the whole week. So that's how this week's card stacks up. You have a solid undercard with reasons to pay attention, some blue blood teams that are on early in the morning that are in intriguing matchups. You have a very good mid card with two rivalry games and games where we can learn more about teams that may be competing within their own divisions. And then finally, it all leads up to two great games, the double main event ending with LSU playing Texas in primetime in what should be the game of the week. In my eyes, that sets up just like the best wrestling UFC slash boxing cards do. You got everything in there to catch your attention, but you don't have to be fully invested right away. It can all build up towards that finish. So that to me is why this week is like a great fight card. There are at least five or six other games that I'm going to keep my eye on for different reasons that I didn't include with this that I'll just say here as a bonus. And that's West Virginia at Missouri and Vanderbilt at Purdue. Purdue and Missouri are both coming off of pretty embarrassing losses to a group of five teams. And it'll be interesting to see how they rebound after that against other Power 5 teams that they could definitely lose to based off of the way that they each played last week. Uh, USF plays at Georgia Tech. This isn't a game that I don't think anybody is interested in. 
But USF, if you've been paying attention to Charlie Strong there, a loss to a totally remade Georgia Tech team, even on the road, ugh, that noise is getting a little bit louder. I like Charlie Strong a lot. I've always wanted him to succeed, but it, that tenure may get ugly. Uh, Illinois, UConn, one of those teams is going to be 2-0, and which is a miracle. San Diego State plays at UCLA. I said last week I'm not a believer in UCLA. That performance against Cincinnati didn't give me any other reason to think otherwise, and San Diego State has a very tough defense. How many points is UCLA going to be able to score? BYU plays at Tennessee. We saw what happened to Tennessee last week against Georgia State. I'm still a believer in what Jeremy Pruitt is doing there and rebounding with a nice win against BYU I think would be a very positive step for them. Um, What else? Minnesota at Fresno. Minnesota was able to pull it out over South Dakota State last week. Fresno gave USC everything they could handle. I think that'll be a fun game to watch. And then the capper of the whole day, the, the true main event for the college football nerds, and that is Oregon State playing at Hawaii at, I think, midnight Eastern time. I don't even know if this one is televised. You may have to get out, break out the first row sports slash whatever other illegal stream that you know and trust to watch this game. But that could be a game where like over 110 total points are scored. If you love college football, that is the perfect way to end the night. I am very excited for whatever craziness happens in Oregon State at Hawaii. Let me know what you guys think about today's episode and my theme of this week being a great fight card. And you can do that by sending me a tweet at DubsCo. Please leave me some feedback. I see some of the same locations pop up every single week. So I hope those aren't just bots. If it's you guys out there, please leave me some feedback. Let me know what you think about the show, what I can do to make it better. And also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow along on Spotify. And last, but most importantly, head on over to youtube.com slash Colton Denning. You can find the show there and you can find all of my college football highlights past and present there as well. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show and stick around for the rest of the episodes I dropped during the 2019 season. I think I'm kind of running out of themes. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of the year, but it's been a lot of fun doing these solo podcasts and trying my best not to sound like an idiot. And if you listen each week or just listen once, I want you to know that I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I put a lot into this show and I just appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. So until next episode, I want to say thank you one more time for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful and safe weekend watching all the great college football that's lined up for us. And until next time, my name is Colton Denning, and this is the Two Stripes Podcast.